0: good. If you have your Bibles, you can stand with me please Let me read. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14. Thank you, Jesus. Hebrews 12, verse 14. Now, if Kojo were here, he would tell you Paul wrote this, is that right? Yes. We don't know for sure about that. It is the Word of God. We do know that for a fact. But the Bible says in Hebrews 12, 14, Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Father, I thank you for what you mean to us today. And Father, I'm convinced by what I see in our culture today For the most part, the church is lacking holiness. Father, I pray that we would allow the Spirit of God to move in our hearts today. And yes, Lord, even send conviction where it's needed, and most of all, bring change into our lives. And we'll give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name I pray, and all God's people said, Amen. You can be seated. So much to preach about when we think about holiness. We've been looking at some things over the last few months that are being attacked from outside the church and with inside the church. And our topic for the last few weeks has been holiness before the Lord. And this is not necessarily being attacked, but I believe it's being neglected in most churches in America today. Holiness before... The Lord. This has always been important in the eyes of our God. We know the very nature of God. He is holy, holy, holy. We read a week or so ago from the book of Exodus in chapter 28 verse 36. Even back in the early days when God was giving the law and he prescribed the details of how they were to worship and how they were to sacrifice, And even what the priests were to wear uh, as part of their holy garments. In verse 36 of chapter 28 of Ezekiel, the Bible says, You shall make a plate of pure gold, and engrave upon it like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And one of the reasons I keep coming back to that verse every week in this series, because we need to remember holiness is very important to God. It is very important. Very important to God. And even from the beginning of their relationship as a people of God, heading out of Egypt to the, on the way to the promised land, a new journey for the history and the, of the nation of Israel, God said to them, I want you to see the need of being a pure people before the Lord. Now I want to say today, God hasn't changed. God still expects us to be a pure people, to be holy before the Lord. I mentioned every week about our text verse there in Hebrews twelve fourteen, where it says, "Follow peace with all men, and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord." Now, notice that last part: without which no man shall see the Lord. I look at that verse and I mention also it's not a promise, it is certainly uh a command, if you will, to follow peace, to follow holiness. But what really gets me is the last part of that verse. And I would I would dare say if I were to interview a multitude of Christians today, and I would ask them, Do you want to see the Lord? Everybody would raise their hands. But the Bible is not ambiguous about this. It is clear, without holiness, we will never see the Lord. Now, what amazes me is what goes on in our churches today, in the lifestyles of Christians. I remember when I shortly after became a pastor, and I, I prayed about this, and I sought other advice from wiser pastors, Men who had experience in the situation uh, about marrying people, you know, doing performing weddings and some of the guidelines, and I even read some of Ch- Ch- Chuck Swindoll's books on that. And, and Chuck Swindoll made a statement in one of his books. He said, I, I, "I will not marry a couple who is living together because what they're doing, they are really just negating God's blessing on their life by disobeying a clear command of God's word." And he said, the only way I would do that is if they would agree to live apart for however many months the wedding will be. And then he said, I would consider doing that marriage that he might honor God. And then he went on to say something that shocked me. He says, I will not marry someone who's not Christian either. And I thought, what are you talking about, John? surely Christian men and women would not live together before marriage. You get all the quiet. So I'll never forget the first call I got from a family I knew very well. Knew her grandparents. They were close friends of ours. Committed to Christ. And I'd heard their granddaughter sing in church before And she called me and wanted me to do her wedding. And I don't remember how it came about, but in the conversation, she said, Well, me and my fiance are living together. I said, What? I thought you were a Christian. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. God's not happy with that. Amen? It was wrong 2,000 years ago, it's wrong today. People don't understand how vital that is. And yet, so many Christians today are living lives as though, okay, I know, I know where the edge of the road is. I know where the ditch is. I want to drive as close to that ditch as I can in my spiritual life. I want to tell you something, folks. Stay as far away from the ditch as you can. Because without holiness, No man is going to see the Lord. So without a doubt, we look through scriptures, and and it it is not just a desire of God. It is. It's a command of God. God is serious. God demands holiness in our lives. And the sad thing is, I want to tell you, folks, among a lot of churches today, a lot of Christians, holiness is not being practiced. And one reason is not being preached. Being holy before the Lord. And I realize it's not, it's not an easy topic to address. But I'm convinced if I'm going to be true to God and to His Word, I've got to preach the whole counsel of God. And we cannot water down what God expects from His people. And so holiness must become, if it's not already, a priority in our lives. Because the Bible says, if I'm not holy, if I'm not living a holy life unto the Lord, I will never see God. I'm not going to tell you, more than anything else, I want to see Him. I know Him now, but I want to see Him one day. Holiness before the Lord. That's why it's so important, folks, that we not only hear it preached and taught in, in the churches. Our pursuit of holiness must be personal, because if we, if we don't, we're we'll not seeing the Lord. Now, kind of hurry through the first part. We've been through it quite a bit. We talked about biblical holiness. God is holy. We talked about that. We began to look what it means for us to be holy. Now, again, we read from Hebrews today. And Peter is quoting from the Old Testament in Leviticus 11 and 19. But what I want you to understand, in Leviticus, yes, God was speaking to the nation of Israel. But when Peter wrote his letter, he was speaking to the church. And folks, the same way that God required the Israelites in the Old Testament to be holy before God, God requires you and I to be holy before the Lord. That has not changed. And if we want to see the Lord, we must be holy before the Lord. But how do we do that? How, how, how does that happen? Well, we won't spend a lot of time on that first part again. We did that last week. But the bottom line is this. If you're not born again, you can't be holy. You must be born again. You've got to have a right relationship with God. But second of all, this holiness thing is a day by day thing. Amen. Every day we've got to live our lives set apart for God. So that's what we got to have to do. But how? Go to first Peter chapter one with me, if you will, verse 13 through 16. So what does it look like to be righteous? What it look like to live a holy life? Now remember the day you got saved, you were at peace with God and He declared you righteous. 1 Peter one through 13-16, let's read it. Peter says, Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance but as he which hath called you is holy so be ye holy in all manner of conversation because it is written be ye holy for i am holy now i've said this a couple times uh, but even peter himself realizes the best one of the best ways to learn stuff is repetition amen And, by the way, a good teacher, a good preacher, he will begin by telling them what he's going to tell them. That's the introduction. And then the main part, you tell them. And the application, you tell them what you already told them. I learned that years ago. And so that's what Peter does. So I want to repeat something that I repeated several times in uh, verse 15 there. Peter said, but he, as he which hath called you is holy, so be holy in all manner of conversation. Now, I'm reading from the King James. Uh, some Bibles translate it as lifestyle, the way you live. It's not the way you talk necessarily, but it doesn't involve the way you talk. But really, neither of those words do complete justice to that Greek word. It means that you be holy in light of your citizen- Citizenship. The word refers to your citizenship. And I'll remind you, church, this world is not our home. Somebody needs to say amen. In fact, if you're a child of God and you're a citizen of the United States, you carry a dual citizenship. And I love my country, but I love the country of God better. And so Paul is saying... That's where your citizenship is. Live according to where you are citizen of. We are citizens of a different world. Now, I want you to get that down, because I'll probably tell you again next week. All manner of conversation. So in verse 13, Paul, I'm sorry, not Paul, Peter, says, It begins with our mind, girdeth loins to your mind. We talked about that in quite a bit of detail last week just want to point out a couple of things real quick. In Ephesians 4, verse 22 uh, and 224, Paul said that you put off concerning your former conduct, uh, the old man which grows uh, corrupt according to this evil lust, be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man which is created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. So Paul said if there's two things that need to happen. We need to be be renewed in the spirit of our mind and we've got to put on that new self. We have to put on that new self. And if if we're going to be renewed in the spirit of our mind and we'll cover it real quickly again, we've got to be involved in activities and we covered those in Sunday school this morning, Philippians 4. We've got to be involved in things that renew our mind. Folks, understand something. Our world offers plenty to drag us down. I don't want that. I want my mind to be renewed. Second of all, we have, we have to have a strong desire to live our lives after God and not the way the world does. Paul addressed that in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Not to be conformed with this world. The third thing we've got to do, we must study and apply God's Word so it changes our behavior from within. And I want to tell you today, folks, one of the many things missing in the church today is a lack of Bible study. Amen. You don't believe me? Show up on Wednesday night. When we have Bible study. Amen. Now there are reasons people can't come. I understand that. But the sad thing is, a lot in the church don't even study their Bible at home. Oh, they're, they you know they get that guilt trip, and you know they'll read. Oh man, we might read four verses today. And we go back we don't think about it. We just read it, and we well, I read four verses today. God's gonna be pleased. Leave my guilt, folks. We need to spend time in God's Word. God's Word transforms our lives. It changes the way that we think. It transforms our mind. So holiness begins in the mind. But Peter also says something else about it. He said, if we're going to be holy, we have to be. Self-control. He says to be sober. That means to be self-controlled. Peter said if you're going to have a holy life, we've got to learn to discipline yourself. I read a story the other day. I'm not sure it was true or not, but I thought, man, I like this. This guy's on a diet. I love diets. I am love diets. I, I, you know, Mark Twain said quitting smoking was the easiest thing he ever did. He quit over 200 times. Dieting is the easiest thing i ever done. I've done it over 200 times, right? this guy said, told his friends, I'm going to die it. And they were having pizza that night. And this guy sat down and eats four pieces of it. His friend said, I thought you were to die. He said, I am. I wanted six pieces. That's my kind of diet, right? Amen. But Paul, I mean, Peter said, if we're going to be holy, we have got to learn to discipline ourselves. And folks, we need to understand and we need to learn to monitor and restrain all of our natural desires. That includes sexual desires, material desires. We're going to learn to restrain our anger. And my friend, we need to learn to restrain our words. You know how I've learned through life, sometimes a hard way? When those times come when I think I have to say something, I'm better off if I don't. Amen. So sometimes we've got to learn to restrain our work. We've got to discipline ourselves. We've got to be so reminded. And restraining ourselves means we must avoid addictions or attitudes that can overwhelm our lives and take control of our minds and control of our bodies. And by the way, it's not just what we call bad things. Even good things can take control of our lives if we allow them to good things like our careers good things like our education or even our creator's pursuits none of those things ought to be priority in our life God must come first holiness before the Lord and so yes we live in the world we know that the Bible says that very clearly but we're not of this world and so while we live in this world we need to keep full possession of our minds and our bodies so we don't allow anything or anyone to draw us away from our God and that we might lose the preparedness we need if we are going to stand before Him. And folks, one of the, my, the greatest desire that I have when I stand before my Lord and my God and I bow before Him to hear Him say, Well done, good and faithful servant. We must seek holiness. Without it, we will never see the Lord. Folks, we are called to be holy. Just like the Israelites back in the day when they received the command from Moses to be holy as God is holy. You and I as Christians... We need to remain spiritually separate from this world's wickedness. We cannot allow it to draw us away from God. And yes, we are different from unbelievers. And even though we are different, we rub shoulders with them every day. And I realize it's not easy. And it's a struggle sometimes to live holy in an unholy world. But it doesn't lessen our mandate to be holy before the Lord. But the good news is God does not expect us to accomplish that task on our own. That's why he sent the Holy Spirit to live in us the day we got saved. And the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit of God, will help us to make good decisions. The Spirit of God will help us to make right choices. And every day I pray, Lord, I pray, Lord, help me. Holy Spirit, come and help me in setting a holy course for my life. A course of my life that steers away from both moral compromise and acting even holier than thou. I don't want either one. But my friend, I want to be holy before the Lord. Because my Bible says if I don't, I'll never see the Lord. So if we're going to be holy, it begins with our minds. The second of all requires self-control. Help me out here. You ever have trouble saying no to yourself? I do. But sometimes we have to do that. So the third thing, Peter says, if we're going to be holy, we better set our hope on the grace Jesus Christ offers. Look, if you will, in verse 13. Peter says, hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How many have been saved more than 10 years? Raise your hand, please. Okay, most of us here, okay. Uh, we could go farther, Father, we won't do this tonight, this morning. And I'm praying that through those 10 years, or however long it's been, if it's been a few years, you've learned some things about God. I'm I'm praying that during that time you've experienced some wonderful things about God. And you begin in your mind to build expectation about heaven and the rewards that God's going to give us and the blessing we'll have. But I want to tell you something, folks. It's going to be like the time when the Queen of Sheba went to see Solomon. Remember that story? And they, they, they told her how great it was, his kingdom, his wisdom. And uh, I don't know what she said of it. She thinking, you know what? There's nobody. It can't be that good. But when she got there, what she say? The half hadn't been told. I, I imagine heaven and God's, the grace that God can revealed to me. But I'm convinced that when I step Under the shores of heaven, wherever it is, I'm going to say, you know what? The half has never been told. It's better than I can imagine. It's better than you can imagine. (laughs) And so Peter says, "Look, put your hope, set your hope on the grace that God's going to bring." And reveal when he comes for you. Because here's the thing folks. When we set our hope. When we set it fully on the grace that's to be given to us. That will encourage us. To change our mindsets. In line with the plans that God has for us. It will encourage us. It will encourage us to change our lifestyle, to glorify God, but it will also encourage us to persevere when things are tough, during difficulties, and even during persecutions. If we have our eyes on the goal, knowing that one day, one precious day, we're going to shout to the high heavens, Lord, it's been worth it all. It has been worth it all. And Peter said, focus, keep your hope on the end for the grace that God is going to bring to us. I want to remind us today as Christians, folks, the hope that we have is not a hazy desire that we wish would come true. Our hope is a confident expectation of what God has promised and my friend heaven is my sure destination. Amen. All by the grace of God. Peter writes about the grace that's to be brought to us. He refers to the grace that Jesus Christ will bring to us. He's talking about our salvation. Now I want to remind you Another biblical truth, another important doctrine. The day you received Jesus Christ, <clears throat> the day you confessed Him as Lord and Savior of your life, the day you repented of your sin, and you made, you asked Christ to be Lord and Savior, you were saved positionally. Somebody say amen. In the eyes of God, we've been declared righteous. Before you did one righteous act. But practically, we are being saved every day. We're becoming more and more and more like God. By the way, if you're not, you're backslidden. Deal with it, run to God. Or else you'd never been saved to begin with. Either way, God has a remedy for you. So we're talking about that we've already been saved. When we accepted Jesus Christ. But we need to realize the fullness of our salvation. The fullness of the grace given to us in Christ. With all the complete rewards. All the complete blessings. Will only be revealed when Jesus Christ comes. When he is revealed. When he returns. I'm looking forward to that day. Because, because of that hope, because He is coming, and one day I have the complete, full realization of what my salvation really is. Everything God has done for me through the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of that, I can place my hope fully I can place my hope completely and unreservedly in that grace that one day, praise God, by the grace of God I'm going to receive. Amen. And knowing that, that knowledge should affect the way we live for Jesus Christ in this world. And that knowledge should motivate us to be pure and live holy lives before God. I don't have the verse, but John would write to the churches. And John confessed there were a lot of things he didn't know. He said, But this I do know. One day I'm going to see him. And when I do, I'll be just like him. But then he goes on to say, those who have that hope of seeing Jesus, knowing that one day we'll be just like him, John says, They purify themselves even as he, God, is pure. (laughs) How many know one of these days we're going to stand before the king of kings? We're going to stand before the one who's holy, holy, holy. And yet the Bible says, without holiness, no man will see the father. So holiness begins in our minds. Holiness requires self-control. Holiness means we have to focus and set our hope on the grace that Jesus Christ offers. But my friend, holiness also requires obedience. 1 Peter 1, look at verse 14. Peter says, as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former of lust as in your ignorance. My focus is on the first part of verse 14. As obedient Children. Do I have anybody here who's been adopted? Okay. And I I, I know a little bit about your history. You've told me before. I knew that. Help me out, Brenda. Wasn't that special? Amen. Yeah. To know that somebody would adopt you and love you. And I knew your mom and dad. The way they did. We have some good friends of ours who adopted two boys. And we knew them when they adopted. They were babies. And we have to remind ourselves, even now, over 30 years later, those are not their biological children, but you can't tell it. I mean, they love them so much. Now, how many know, if you're a child of God, you've been adopted into God's family? Amen. Amen. You've been adopted. Now, it's been a while since i studied this out, but if my memory served me correctly, uh, if you didn't like your uh, biological son, you could sell him. If you adopted one, you couldn't. Somebody say amen. Amen. And and no wonder Paul, when he wrote about it, in the book of Romans, he said, whereby I cry what? Abba, Father. Now, we're, we're not... Jewish in in our language or our our culture but uh, the word Abba was a, uh, a term of endearment and we might say Papa I've been adopted we're part of God's family and we think about that every believer if you're born again you are part of the family of God we're your children, amen we are children of God and I realize uh, I remember when we uh, first uh, when Jason was born, uh, we our, our neighbors very to kind of helped us in shelters and took care of us and helped us out in any way they could. Uh, Ray and Lou Campbell, they're in heaven now. And Ray came to me one day uh, shortly after Jason was born. He said, "Son, he said, uh, if you have twelve kids, it will all be different. Isn't that true? Uh, they're all different. And we're, we're part of the family of God, and and without a doubt." All of us have different characteristic traits. And even children do. And hopefully parents will learn uh, to treat them in that way. And certainly we stand amazed of how different our own children can be. And there's a difference between God's children. But understand something. If you're a child of God... We all ought to have one characteristic in common, and that characteristic is we're obedient. We are obedient to God. Why? Because we've been chosen. And the result of our chosen status is obedience to our Savior. Our life must be obedient if we're going to live holy lives. And there in verse 14, let me read it again. Peter tells us what what obedient children do not do. He said, they don't conform themselves to the former lust as in your ignorance. What's God's word saying here? If you are a Christian, if you've been born again, you ought not be living the same lifestyle you lived before you were saved. You hear what I said? Our lifestyle must be different. There was a time, and Peter mentioned that here, we lived in ignorance. We consistently gave in to our evil desires, and we were not sensitive to what God wanted in our lives. But when we're born again, that changes. When God saved us, when God saved us, we received a new mindset. We received new goals for our life. All of a sudden, we received a new sensitivity to sin and a new desire to please God. And we also received a brand new way of living. I mentioned his name several times. Some of you knew him. Some knew him very well. Pierce Fields. He was my mentor as a young Christian. He was probably this much older than I was. I don't remember now. Probably a few years. And he always used the phrase that when he gets saved, God changes you want to. And Pierce Fields was a committed Christian. Sometimes he was mysterious in what he said. But then it dawned on me, because I used to worry, well, if, I, if I got saved and, you know, I like doing this and I like doing that, and boy, I really like doing this. And I know if I did that and that and that, God wouldn't be pleased with me. And, and I just don't, don't know that I want to change what I want. But then it dawned on me. Whenever you get saved, God gives you a new way of thinking. And he does change your want to. The things you used to want to do, you don't want to do anymore. And, though, and even though you may struggle with them, you're asking for God's help to overcome those things in our lives. So God gives us a new mindset. And by the way, Peter said we don't conform ourselves to the form of lust that we had. It's a particular Greek word I want to use twice here in this verse in Peter. In Romans 12, verse 2, we read that last week. And it means to pattern our life or actions after something. Not to be conformed to this world. When I was a sinner, I sinned. Regularly. When I was a sinner, I patterned my life after my own desires. And I had no power. No power at all to control them. But now that I am born again... That you are born again. Our lives have to be radically different. Somebody better say amen. God has moved in. We've been bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus Christ. We are not our own. And because of that, we must not be conformed to our old way of living. We must not be conformed to our evil desires. Because We have been transformed by the renewing of our mind. Romans 12, verse 2. Now make no mistake about it. And hear me well. Evil desires still exist. They're in my life and they're in your life. But from the time I got saved, those evil desires are still there. And it raises their head up more than I want them to. But understand something, the day I got saved, I set a new goal for my life. I don't want to go there anymore. I want to be different. I want God's power to transform my lives. And so as Christians, we must break with the past. And we must depend upon the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to overcome evil desires, to enable us... Not to conform to this world, but now conform to the will of God in our lives. Folks, we need God's help in that. So Peter says, obedient children, don't conform to this world. Look what they do do, verse 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Because it is written, be ye holy. Why? for I am holy. Let me give you some comfort this morning. Don't you think, because I'm standing up here week to week, I've always got it all together, I don't. Don't you think for a moment that I never feel a pull in my life to return to the old ways. It happens more than I want. So even after we've committed our life to Christ, we will feel that pull and experience that struggle in our life to go back to our old ways. And yet the Bible says in verse 14 here, in First Peter, don't conform to our old ways and desires, but we are rather to be like God, to be like our Heavenly Father, we're to be holy in everything we do. How many are saved in? Raise your hand. Come on. How many are glad you're saved? Amen. Smile a little bit. Amen. <laughs> All right. Come on. I'll try and be nice. But here's what I want you to know. Did you know you didn't choose God? He chose you. I like being chosen, don't you? God has chosen us. Second Peter 1 3. According as his divine power hath given us all things to pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him, notice this, that hath called, as our word, us, to glory and virtue. I'll never forget the first day I, I met Pam. She couldn't help it. She fell in love with me. I mean, who couldn't? I mean, I was handsome, I was intellectually wise, humble. I'm glad you can't hear me back there. But that's not true. But no matter what it was, something drew me to her and her to me. Folks, I had nothing to offer God. So God initiated that. Isn't that good? He's the one who came to us. He initiated our salvation. And see, we're called not only to be saved, but God called us to live lives that please Him, to be holy like God is holy. And God's holiness means that we, that He is completely separated from sin. God is separate from evil. And we know, and we studied this on Wednesday night a few weeks ago, Holiness pervades the character of God. He is holy, holy, holy. God is the opposite. He's the very opposite of anything profane. So holiness for you and I, it means being totally devoted or dedicated to God. It means being set aside for His special use. And it means set apart from sin and from the influence of sin in our lives. So the God of Israel, the God of the Christian church, my friend, is holy. And our God sets the standard for holiness. So don't compare yourself with each other, compare yourself with God. He sets the standard for morality. He sets the standard for integrity. He's not like the Roman gods. He's not warlike. He's not adulterous. He's not spiteful. He's not like the other pagan cults that were around in the first century. God is not bloodthirsty. He's not promiscuous. He's none of those things. He is a God of mercy. Thank God for that. He's a God of justice. He's a God who cares personally for each one of those who follow him. And our holy God expects us to imitate Okay, I told you I was going to tell you. I told you I'm telling you. Now let me tell you what I told you. With a question: Who wants to be holy? And I got to tell you, hear me well. Holiness is a tough sale. S A L E for pastors, for teachers and youth leaders, and makes a day. Because in our world, who really wants to be holy? In most people's minds, holiness stands for moral superiority. For most people, holiness means you've got a judgmental mind, or spirit, and it means non-participation in the world's pleasures. So how in the world can a pastor a teacher, a youth leader, persuade readers of 1 Peter that he ought to be holy. Most churches don't teach separation separate from sin. Now I'm going to meddle a little bit. If we did, we'd have to eliminate most TV shows we watch. If we did, we'd have to eliminate most movies we watch. If we did, we'd have to stay away from professional sporting events where there are drunks and found leg we pervades. We'd have to purge our desires for this world's goods and pleasures. So where do we draw the line? And the Lord knows I don't want to be hypocritical about this. So without a doubt, it's a tough sale to make. Now, by the way, if it was just Peter who said that, if it was just Pastor Smith or me who said it, but it wasn't just us. Jesus said it. Matthew 5, verse 15, look what it says. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. So the bottom line is this. We should be holy because we love a holy Lord. We should be holy because we represent Him in a sin-filled world. And if that doesn't motivate us, To live holy life before God, we have to remember that one day our lives are going to be judged. And the Bible says, without holiness, no man will see the Lord. Let's stand together. Father, we thank you today for your precious word. And Father, without a doubt, holiness is a hard sale today, especially in our culture. Lord, I pray that you remind me moment by moment who I represent. Remind me to ask myself a question. Would the Lord watch what I watch on TV? Would the Lord watch this movie? Would he go to this place? Father, help me, God, to be sensitive to the Spirit of God. Lord, I pray for any who are struggling right now with holiness. I pray, Lord, that they would surrender to you, that they would yield to the work of the Holy Spirit. And I give you the praise. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Yes, are you ready? If you want to come and pray, you can pray. Pray where you are. Pray here at the altar. But my friend, God wants holiness.